I was bent at the waist, breathing heavily, having just crossed the floor doing a challenging dance combination. The words registered vaguely as I tried to catch my breath. You there, who are you dancing for? The voice repeated. The room stilled in that heavy, slow motion way that precedes the nightmarish realization that the one loud voice in the room is speaking directly to you. I looked up, my dance teacher, who had not spoken to me before this moment, was looking directly at me expectantly, as was the room full of about 50 fellow dancers. For an introvert who liked to dance at the back of the class, this was my worst nightmare. I was 19 and attending a summer dance intensive to take my dancing to the next level after my years of training in a children's ballet company. I, I don't, for the audience, I stammered out. I was really hopeful this was the right answer. You don't know, do you? He said, shaking his head. Let me know when you find out. He turned away and clapped to the percussionist sitting behind a set of tall drums. The class continued on, though I can't recall what happened after that. The blood was pounding in my ears and my stomach was constricting and the rest of the class was a blur of misery. This event, this question, stands out as one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. To be called out like that in front of so many people was deeply uncomfortable. The difference between this embarrassing moment and many others like it is that even later, I had no idea what I should have said in that moment. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't figure out what the right answer to his question was. Who was I dancing for? 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 For myself? For my teacher? For the audience? But this time said with more confidence, for Dionysus or Terpsichore or baby Jesus, all of the above, I had no idea. In the weeks after that fateful question, I thought about it all the time. I took the question very literally. I assumed there was a single right logical answer that I just needed to figure out. I tried dancing in class as if I was dancing for the audience. I tried pretending that I thought I was the best dancer, dancing for myself and myself alone. I tried to focus on each teacher's personality and tailor my dancing to them. If Google had been around back then, I likely would have Googled, who should I be dancing for? This question, probably aided by the embarrassing way it was posed to me, became a turning point in my life. I was forced to take a step back, way back, really look at myself, and then move forward from a new perspective. This is, I think, what all great questions can do for us. So I've been serving as president of UUCL's governing board for almost four years now, and my term ends in June. I started my tenure as president at the same time that Reverend Alice joined us as minister. When she entered her position, she had a lot of questions for us as a board. Some of the questions were simple about how the church worked, like what issues from committees must come before the board? How is it decided when a minister should speak for the church on an issue? When she raised these questions, we could work on a logical answer. But some of her questions were larger, more vague, and more difficult to answer. Why is UUCL here? Who are we here for? 
if UECL didn't exist in Loudoun, what would be lost? And she would ask these questions and then say, we don't need to answer those tonight, but I'd like us to think about them. These felt like impossible questions and the diligent student in me felt frustrated and I struggled to just sit with them. You see, when I started, I felt a little insecure as board president. I was always looking behind me for the actual board president. He definitely wears a suit and tie to appear. If I really knew what I was doing, surely I would know the answers to these questions, right? Though I never trained as a lawyer, I assumed the lawyerly adage was true, that people shouldn't ask a question without knowing the specific answer they were looking for. So those questions eventually wove their way into our every conversation at the board. They became the genesis of our questions that we asked during the vision cafes, which begat the proposed mission statement that we're talking about as a congregation. In the process of asking these open-ended hard questions, we did find ourselves over time stumbling toward a collective answer. All of these questions are about finding our why. Just like that question posed back to me in the dance studio, which was about finding what was unique about me as a dancer. My dance teachers that summer taught me that the best art transcends the limits of simple technique to create moments of magic. And so we stand in this moment and ask ourselves, what is special and unique and magical about UUCL? How do we transcend our literal reality to kindle love and justice, to nurture and heal ourselves, each other, and our world? I find leadership of any, any kind challenging and being a church leader is no different because leading calls you to put yourself out there, to be willing to make mistakes, possibly many mistakes. Thankfully, I'm no longer looking for the actual board president to show up in his suit and tie because I decided leading isn't about having all the answers. Leading isn't about being perfect, being great at something already. It's about being willing to try to take a turn at the front of that V formation of geese. Leading is about being willing to listen, to learn, to grow, to serve. If we waited to be perfect, to be leaders, we would have no leaders. As a lifelong UU, I've always said that a bedrock foundation of my UU faith has been a willingness to sit with questions, to wonder and be curious, to research and inquire, rather than immediately needing a simple answer fed to me. But wrestling with deep questions can be uncomfortable, especially when they're not easily answered. They can feel unfinished rather than inspirational. They can feel annoying and impossible as if they were crafted just to frustrate us. As with most things, there's a balance to be found here. I'm not saying we shouldn't get really good at logical decisive action when needed. We just need to decide what questions can be answered simply and efficiently and what ones need to be lived in for a while. I often think about Rainier Maria Rilke's most famous lines from his book, Letters to a Young Poet. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. 
My definition of leadership now includes living the questions as wholeheartedly as we can. After all, what are we doing in this time of a worldwide pandemic, a racial reckoning, alternative facts and conspiracy theories, but living some very hard questions? Questions of safety and risk, of interconnectedness and truth. In a time of a respiratory pandemic, how can I keep you safe when my exhale travels between us to become your inhale? There are really important scientific logical answers to that question, and it is also a question to live. We need each other now more than ever so that we're not alone in living these hard questions. Sometimes a really good question can feel like a koan, a Buddhist parable that often takes the form of a question that doesn't really have a clear answer. The most common koan folks have heard of is, what is the sound of one hand clapping? On the surface, this can seem nonsensical because there's no logical answer, which is the point. A koan asks us to sit and meditate, wrestle with it, rejoice in it, play with it, become it, live it. Koans are meant to reveal the limits of our logical mind and to provoke a more intuitive understanding of our world. For me, they help me recognize my desire for certainty and to practice transcending the limits of logic to reach for those moments of magic. I'm human and so learning to live the questions is a lesson I must learn how to do over and over and over again. A few days before the end of that summer dance intensive, my teacher stopped the music after I'd crossed the floor with my group. You, he yelled, smiling and pointing at me. This time I knew he was speaking to me. I smiled back as he said, you've got it. And he started clapping. The whole class followed suit. This time the sudden attention felt good. The thing is though, if he had asked me that same question again, who are you dancing for? I don't know that I could have spoken a simple answer. I had stopped trying on the various personas in class and I had somehow, some way lived the question enough that I had shown him my answer. I'd found a sense of why dance mattered to me. He had pushed me to think about who I was, who I wanted to be, my reason for being there, my purpose, my mission. And stumbling, fumbling, I had found some nascent version of it. Who are you dancing for has become a kind of koan for me in the years since that fateful day in the dance studio. With dancing taking on a metaphorical meaning and who not meaning a literal person. When I felt at a loss for a sense of direction or purpose, I tried to live the question now, trusting that I will live along some distant day into the answer. At UECL, we are continually creating our why as a community and living out the hardest and best questions with each other. We will need to be ready to embrace difficult questions as we begin to imagine our post-pandemic world together. May we continue to be blessed with the challenge and invitation of deep, provocative, sometimes koan-like questions. And so my friends, who are you dancing for? Amen and blessed be.